want to begin today by asking you several questions, kind of get your mind working. And I'll give you a chance to really think about this for a moment. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how strongly do you believe that one of these days Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth? Well, that sounds like a 10 right there to me, a 10 with applause. Question number two, on a scale from 1 to 10, how strongly do you believe that Jesus Christ could come back today? we got another 10 right there. Now, let me say this. When we think about the return of Christ, we need to think of it as having two phases. And today we're going to be thinking in a, in a broad sense, but there are two phases to the return of Christ. The first phase is the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read that one of these days, and it could be today, from heaven there's going to be a shout, there's going to be the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God is going to sound, And we who are saved are going to be caught up and meet the Lord in the air, the rapture of the church. And the Bible says from that moment on, we will be with him forever. So that's kind of the A part of the return of Christ. The B part takes place seven years later. After the rapture of the church, the great tribulation on the earth for seven years, Antichrist ruling and reigning during that time. At the end of those seven years, as we've studied in the past, the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will actually return to this earth. Zechariah chapter 14, 4, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and finally there'll be peace in the Middle East. And there'll be peace everywhere for those thousand years that Jesus rules and reigns. So the question, on a scale from 1 to 10... How sure are you that Jesus could return today? Obviously, it would not be the second coming to the earth. That can't happen today, but the rapture of the church could happen today, and this could be the day that Jesus comes for us. So think about what we have said so far. How sure are we that one of these days Jesus is coming back? Yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. How sure are we that it could happen today? Ten Perfect 10, we know that it could happen today. We could see him before this day's over. Third question. On a scale from 1 to 10, how much time do you spend thinking about the return of Jesus Christ? Well, we didn't get a perfect 10 on that, right? And that's what happened to me this week in the study. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought, God... I'm 100% sure that one of these days you're coming back to this earth. I'm 100% sure that it could be today that we see you in the rapture of the church. But when I think about my own life, how much time do I really spend thinking about the return of Christ? If I'm honest, I would have to say this, not enough. Not enough. I know it could happen. I know it will happen. And sometimes I do think about it, but I don't think about it as much as I should. Those Puritans back hundreds of years ago, they thought about the return of Christ all the time. I've read accounts of how many of those believers, when they would wake up in the morning, they would go to the windows and they would turn, pull back the curtains and they would look up at that morning sky. And the Puritans were known to begin their day by saying, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. And then they would go out into the fields, many of them, and work all day. And and as they were working, in the back of their mind, or maybe in the front of their mind, they were thinking, this might be the day that Jesus comes back. And then they would go home and have the evening meal. And when they got ready for bed that night, they would go back to that same window, look up at that same sky. This time, the sky was dark. And before they got into bed, they would say, maybe tonight, Lord, (laughs) maybe tonight. That's how they lived. And I think about my life. 
And if I'm honest, I have to say, I don't wake up every morning saying, maybe today, Lord. Now, sometimes there'll be a season, like after a sermon like this, I'm more mindful of it for the week ahead. I might do that more. But wouldn't it be a great thing if every day we woke up thinking, maybe today, Lord, maybe today, before the, cro- the clock strikes midnight, this could be the day that I see you face to face. And if and we go to bed at night, maybe tonight, Lord, maybe I'm going to be awakened in the middle of the night by that shout from heaven the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and maybe tonight, Lord, in my sleep, I'll be awakened and I'll be caught up to be with you at the rapture of the church in heaven forever. Now, as we think about the Christian life, we know the most important thing is that a person receives Christ, has their sins forgiven, knows for sure that they're going to heaven, has repented and all that, that a person is born again. But most of us here today are saved. Not everybody, I'm sure, but most of us have received Christ. And so for those of us who are saved, the important thing for us is to grow in our relationship to God, to get to know God better, to become more like Christ, to grow and to develop and to mature. And that's really what the Christian life is all about. And if you think about it, every sermon we preach is about that. We don't come out here every week and preach an entire sermon on how to be saved. Now, there's sometimes throughout the year we would devote an entire sermon to that, but we don't do that every week. If we preached 52 weeks a year how to be saved, that would mean everybody who's saved is not learning anything new so that they can grow. Now, every sermon at the end contains an explanation of how to be saved. But if we just preach how to be saved every week, Christians wouldn't grow. And so the purpose of what we're doing here is to help those of us who have been saved to grow and to mature and to become more like Christ. And as I was thinking about that this week, it's like a light came on in my mind, and I thought there's one thing that all of us could do. In fact, it's the simplest thing that any of us could do that would help us to grow in our Christian life more than anything else. Say, well, John, what is one thing that we could do? Here it is. Change our thinking and to adopt a thought process that says this could be the day that Jesus Christ comes for me. And so I want us to think about that today. And if you'll open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter number 1, and we're thinking today about the difference that it would make if when we woke up in the morning, we said this may be the day. As we went throughout the day, looking up at the sky, this could be the day. And as we go to bed tonight, maybe tonight, this could be the night. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it will be, but it could be. Jesus did not come for us yesterday, but he could have. Jesus might not come for us today, but he could. And so if we could get that in our mind, this could be the day Jesus comes for me. In fact, I think we have those words on the screen If I'm not mistaken, well, maybe we don't. There it is. Let's just say that together. This could be the day Jesus comes for me. Say it again. Now, if we would believe that, and we do believe that, But if we would think on that and meditate on that, as a man thinks, so is he. It would change everything about our life. I made a little list this week of some of the things that would change about our lives if we really believed that this could be the day that Jesus comes for us. First of all, it would put our problems in perspective. 
We all have problems. We all have situations in our lives and, and things we wish we could change. And sometimes those things burden us down and they trouble us and they cause us to be anxious. But if we really believe that Jesus could return today, this could be the day, it would, it would change how we, how we view our problems. My, my grandfather used to say he was like me. He was a, kind of a worrier. That was his tendency. And he knew that I had inherited that gene, I guess, from him. And he used to say to me when I would get worried about something, he would say, John, in a hundred years, it won't matter. Whatever it was that I was worried about at that time, in a hundred years, John, it won't matter. And that's true. In a hundred years, it won't matter. But think about this. If Jesus could return today, that means that thing you're worrying about right now, it might not matter in 12 hours. You may not have to wait a hundred years. It may just be a few hours and you won't have to think about it at all. You say, John, Do you really believe that in our lifetime we will see the return of Christ? I believe in our lifetime we might see the return of Christ. I can't say for certain whether or not we will. I know this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the apostle Paul said, we are living in the last days. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17, Peter, that great Pentecostal sermon, he talked about the last days. Now think about that. If Peter and Paul 2,000 years ago said that we're living in the last days, what must that mean for us today? Well, it must certainly mean we're in the last hours of the last days. And then we come to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, and the apostle John said this, little children, now listen to this expression, it is the last hour. Paul said we're living in the last days. John, who outlived Paul, said, we're living in the last hour. He said that 2,000 years ago. Friend, if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, that must certainly mean that we're living in the last minutes. We're living in the last seconds. Now, will he come in our lifetime? I don't know. Paul expected Jesus to come in his lifetime. You say, well, Paul was wrong. No, Paul was right. Jesus could have returned in his lifetime. And just because he didn't, that doesn't mean he couldn't. And so whether he comes in our lifetime or not is not really the significant thing. That's his business. The significant thing is that he could return in our lifetime. And if we believe that, it would put our problems in perspective and say, well, you know what, really? If this, is, if this problem is going to be gone in 12 to 14 hours, it's really not that big a deal. Something else that would happen, it would help us to get our priorities in order. If we believed before midnight Jesus is coming for us, I guarantee we would have our priorities in order. Say, John, what are, what are our priorities? What should our priorities be? Well, I think if you wanted to simplify that, you could say it like this. Our priorities should be God, family, work. Now, that's, that's pretty basic, but that's really good. God, family, work. Not God, work, family. Shouldn't put your work above your family. No. But we shouldn't say family, God, work. Nor should we say work, God, family. Some people make work their number one priority in life. Some people make their family the number one priority in life. And while work is important and while family is certainly important, if you make work or family your number one priority, you have violated the first commandment where God said, thou shall have no other gods before me. We have idolized and deified our family and our work, and God says that's wrong. Your priority should be God, family, work. Well, if we knew Jesus were coming in the next 12 to 14 hours, we would sit down and say, I've got to get things in order. As the Old Testament said, We've got to get our house in order because God is about to come and we're going to see him face to face. I'll tell you something else. If we really believed that Jesus could return today, that he very well might come today, it would purify our lives. Think about that. 
It would purify our lives. Now, when Jesus comes back, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in that moment, but I'll tell you what I don't want to be doing. I don't want to be sinning. I don't want Jesus to come down here and find me doing something I ought not to be doing, sinning. How embarrassing would that be for him to find me sinning? Let me just read you a verse that I think uh, the Apostle John was saying, was giving the same challenge to us. You might want to jot the reference down. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, John said, And now, little children, abide in Christ, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. When Jesus comes back, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to have to bow my head and say, oh, I was doing something I shouldn't have done. I was saying something I shouldn't have said. I was sinning, and I wasn't ready for him to return. No, I want him to find me ready for his return. It would purify our lives. In the last few days, I've been reminded about the importance of preparing for the arrival of someone. I was home about 10 nights ago, and I went to bed about midnight. I don't know how it is in your house, but for me, during the day, I keep my air conditioning on 76. When I go to bed at night, I run it down to 68, so I freeze myself out so I can sleep really good. And I got in bed this night, and I did what I do every night. I ran it down, 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 the temperature down, 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 got it set on 68. And I got in bed, and about 30 minutes later, it just... It seems still hot, and it just, the air hadn't, you know, normally after about an hour, it'll click off because you're where you want to be, and it just hadn't moved. So I went and looked at the thermostat. I thought, well, maybe it'll be 74, 73 by now. It still said 76. I said, oh, no, this is not good. And so it just kept doing that, 1 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 76. Temperature hasn't gone down one bit. And that lasted till about 3 o'clock. And I thought, God, this, and no, I didn't even, to be honest with you, I was not even thinking about God. I was not in the spirit at all during that time. I was in the flesh. I should have been in the spirit, but I was in the flesh. About 3.30, I thought, I've got a serious problem. So I opened the windows. I said, I've got to get some fresh air in this house. Fortunately, that night, the wind was blowing from the north, from the ship channel. Those fumes came in, put me right out. I slept like a baby. From about 3.30 till about 7.30, I got four hours sleep. Now, I'm fully functional on four hours. I'd rather have more, but I handle it on four. And so I got up at 7.30, and by that time, I, I, it's strange. You know, most of the time, if you go to bed in the flesh, you wake up in the flesh. If you go to bed in the Spirit, you wake up in the Spirit. Well, I went to bed in the flesh, but somehow I woke up in the Spirit. And I said, now, God, I need you to help me to get this air conditioning fixed because I know it's not your will for anybody to live like this. Even in Egypt, when the children of Israel down there, the Bible says they had light and they had air conditioning in their homes. And God said, you're reading the wrong translation now because that's not the case. So I prayed and I called the company and they came out. And by about noon or two, 1 or 2 o'clock that afternoon, they fixed my air conditioning. They repaired it. I said, what was the problem? They said, well, John, the problem was one of your wires had burned up. But we have replaced it. We've sliced it or spliced it or have they do it. We put some duct tape around it. And they said, you've got some other wires out here that have been duct taped. Now, just, this is just free food for thought. When you have too much duct tape on your air conditioning, that's not a good sign. And so he said to me, John, this unit has been around for 21 years. You've gotten your money's worth out of this. In fact, the previous owner bought that a year before I moved in my house. He said, my recommendation is that you replace your AC. And so on Monday, I had an appointment, and they came early Monday morning to replace my air conditioning. Now... When I woke up Monday morning, I, I was so excited they were coming. I almost spoke in tongues. In fact, maybe I did. I'm not sure. 
But I knew they were coming early. I got up early. I got up earlier than I normally get up. Why? To get my house ready, to get me ready. And they came, and they got that air fixed, and, and it was wonderful. Then they had to come back on Thursday. Even though I had air, there was one other thing they had to do. And so they came back early Thursday morning. So Thursday morning, I got up early again, and I said, they're coming. They're going to finish this thing today. I was so excited. I got up. When they rang the doorbell, I almost ran to the door. I, was, I, sh- I almost served them breakfast. I was so glad they were there. They came in, they fixed it, and I'm in good shape at my house. But as the weekend has gone on, I've thought this. If I'm going to be that excited, if I'm going to be that prepared for the coming of my air conditioning friends, how much more excited and how much more prepared should I be for the coming of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ? And if we would live with that and say, this could be the day, and when he comes back, I don't want him to find me sinning. I don't want him to find me being negligent. I want him to find me doing what I ought to be doing so that I can have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. I'm saying it would purify our lives. Now, I'll tell you something else. If we really believe this could be the day, it might not be, but it could be. This could be the day that Jesus comes for me. It would silence a lot of our questions. So many of us have questions. Part of being human is that we have questions. God, why did this happen? God, where were you when I needed you there? God, how in the world are you going to work this situation out? God, when will things change? When will things get better? We have questions. We're human. Now, in Acts chapter 1, we read that the disciples, we saw this last week, they're on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, and he's giving his final instructions before ascending back to heaven to be with the Father. And last week, we did a whole sermon about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6... After Jesus has explained the baptism of the Spirit, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they, that is the disciples, asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when they thought about the Messiah, they thought that he had come to liberate them and to free them from Roman oppression. The Romans controlled Israel in the time of Christ. And they mistreated many times the Jewish people. And so they thought the Messiah had come to deliver them from that. And so they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, notice how Jesus answered that question in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But these, the first few words of Jesus' answer is what I want to draw your attention to today. It is not for you to know. Say that with me. It is not for you to know. Did you know there's some things God doesn't want you to know? There's some things God doesn't want me to know. Sometimes I'll pray about something and say, God, why? God, how? God, when? And God doesn't say anything in response to that. Why? Because there's some things God doesn't want us to know. If we knew everything, we wouldn't need faith. And that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. There are some things in life we don't know now and we'll never know until we get to heaven and see God. Then we'll know everything. And so this little phrase, it is not for you to know, that comforted me as I was preparing this sermon. And it reminded me, I don't have to know. Listen, just because you don't understand everything happening in your life, that doesn't mean God doesn't understand. 
Just because you don't see how things are going to work out, that doesn't mean God doesn't see. God does see. And trusting God means that we look beyond what we can see and what we can understand to what God can see and to what God knows. And it's not for you to know. And so what I'm saying, if we really believe that before midnight, Jesus might be back, he might come for us, it would silence a lot of our questions. And we would just say to God, you know what, God, I don't know, but shortly I will. Soon enough, I will. And when I see you and we're in heaven forever, it really won't matter. These things I'm questioning now, I won't even care about when I get there. So really, my questions are not as important as I have always thought that they were. And then another thing that would happen, if we really believed Jesus could come at any moment, it would light a fire in our souls for evangelism and for soul winning and for sharing our faith. Look at this eighth verse in the first chapter of Acts. This is the key verse. Jesus said, but you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus was saying to those disciples, listen, I'm about to go back to the Father and to be with him, but you have work to do. My work is done, but your work is just beginning. And your responsibility is to share the good news of salvation with everybody you possibly can, beginning here in Jerusalem and then expanding out to Judea and then expanding out to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And as you study church history, and you read where these disciples went after this, in the years ahead, for example, uh, Thomas went to India, and the other disciples, they all kind of scattered, and they went different places, and they, they took the gospel. They fulfilled what Jesus had commanded them to do. And what I'm saying is, if you believe that Jesus Christ could be back for us by midnight and there's somebody in your family or somebody in your circle of friends who's not saved, I'll guarantee you this afternoon you'd call that person and you'd say, hey, look, can we talk? Can we meet? Can we visit? I've got something I want to share with you. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you he died for you, and he, he's willing to save you if you'll repent of your sins and trust him. I'm saying it would light a fire. There would be a passion and urgency in our life. You see, if we just never think about the return of Christ, there's no urgency. There's no passion. A couple of weeks ago, after one of the services, three guys walked up to talk to me. They looked to be about 18 or 19 years of age. I never had met any of them. And one of them introduced himself to me and said, John, I've been coming here for a few weeks now. And he said, a few weeks ago, I got saved. He says, the best thing I ever did in my life. And he said, here's my friend. He told me his name, and that guy started talking. He said, you know, my friend, he invited me to come to church, and he said, I've started coming to First Baptist for a couple of weeks, and and he said, I got saved too. He said, it's the best thing I ever did. Well, here's this third guy, and, and they said, we've invited him, and he's been coming, and so I got his name, and we were talking. I said, now let me ask you, have you been saved yet? He said, well, I've been coming for a few weeks, and he said, Whether or not I've been saved yet, I don't know. He said, every week at the end of the sermon, when y'all give that prayer, I pray that prayer, but I don't really know if I'm saved or not. I said, well, you know, that thing about praying the prayer every week, I said, I used to do that too. I used to pray the prayer all the time. I said, in fact, I think I own the record for asking Jesus into my heart more than anybody I've ever met. And I said, because I wanted to make sure he was there. I said, but the greatest lesson God ever taught me was this. It's not audibly, but in my heart. It's like God said to me, John, the fact that you keep inviting me into your heart over and over and over again is an indication that you're not really trusting me. Because if you were trusting me, you would quit asking me, and you would just trust me and receive me by faith. And that changed my life. And after that, I said, Lord, I have asked you. I do trust you. And I've had peace like a river ever since. I said to this young man, I said, would you like to pray right now one final time? 
and ask Christ into your heart and trust him to save you. We're standing right here. He said, yes, I would. And that third guy got saved, and he said, man, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. And one of them spoke up and said, can we all be baptized together? I said, you sure can. I said, I want you to check your schedule. Get, and they, I thought they were going to call late. They got to check in their schedule right there. They said, we can all be here to be baptized together on Father's Day. And their schedule, they're planning on doing that. But I'm saying today, if we really believed that Jesus Christ could return before the clock strikes midnight, we would be calling every family member, every friend that we have who is unsaved and sharing with them how they could receive Christ as Lord and Savior. It would light a fire for evangelism and soul winning. Tell you something else it would do. This is kind of a different type of a point, but it's a good one. It would change how we view clouds. Change how we view clouds. You know, God has many ways to speak to us. His primary way is through the Bible. God will never tell you anything that contradicts his word. Another way God speaks to us is through his spirit. Some, I hear sometimes people say, the only way God speaks to us is through the Bible. Wrong. The way I know that's wrong is the Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says God speaks to us through his spirit who lives in us. God speaks to us through nature. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Anybody that tells you the only way God speaks is through the Bible, that person doesn't know the Bible. Because while the Bible is the primary way, it's not the only way. And these other ways will never contradict the Bible, but God speaks to us through many ways. God speaks to us through Christian friends. God speaks to us through music. God speaks to us through our conscience. God speaks to us again through nature. Now, in Acts 1, look in verse number 9, and watch for the word clouds as we read verses 9, 10, and 11. Watch this. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, the angel said, just like Jesus went up, one day he's coming back. He went up in the clouds, one day he's coming back in the clouds. When we think about the return of Christ, we need to understand this. Jesus Christ is coming back literally, bodily, and physically, and he's coming back in the clouds. Now, let me show you some verses in the New Testament that emphasize this. In Mark's gospel, Jesus said these words himself. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and glory. And then in Revelation, notice another verse says the same thing. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. And so on that day when Jesus comes back to this earth, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. He's coming back in clouds. But did you know and last night, it's interesting, it got late at my house. I'd spoken at an event down in Texas City, and I got home looking over this sermon one other time, and I said, I just want to check something out. And I was reminded of something last night that I had forgotten. Because remember, the return of Christ has two phases, the rapture and the return to earth. Those verses are talking about his return to the earth, and he's coming with clouds. Here's what I was thinking last night. But Lord, how about at the rapture? I can't remember. At the rapture? Will there be clouds at your coming? And so I look, listen to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, listen to this, in the 
clouds. I had forgotten that prepositional phrase. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. At the rapture of the church and at his second coming to the earth, both times Jesus will be coming in the clouds. And I'm saying because of that, every time you're driving down the road or you're home or in your backyard, you look up in the sky and you see a cloud, God is speaking to you through that cloud. And that cloud is saying to you, that could be the cloud. That cloud you're looking at right now that you're calling a cirrus cloud or a cumulus cloud or a cumulonimbus cloud, or whatever name they have for all these clouds, that cloud could turn into the glory cloud, and that could be the cloud upon which Jesus rides back when he comes to call us home to be with him. And so we should look and see the clouds. We say, God, you speak to me through the clouds. Nahum 1.3, the clouds are the dust of his feet. Clouds remind us that God is near. When I was a child, I was scared of the storms. Every time it got rainy at school, I wanted to go home and see my mother. I was scared of the rain, and that lasted for a few years. But one of these days, somebody taught me that verse in Nahum 1.3, the clouds are the dust of his feet. And so when we see the storm clouds, we don't have to be scared. It just is a reminder that God is near. And it's also a reminder that God one day is coming back, and those clouds should cause us to think about that. Something else is if, if we really believe that this could be the day, might not, but it could be, that Jesus comes for us, it would send us to our knees in prayer. Now, these angels had just said to the disciples, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's coming back, and he's coming back in the clouds, visibly, bodily, literally, physically. He's coming back just like he went up. What's the first thing they did after hearing that word? Look at verse 12. This is interesting to me. Then they, that is the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's about a half-mile walk, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. You can go a half-mile on the Sabbath day. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. This is that same upper room, at least I understand that it is, where Jesus had the last supper with the disciples, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, and then all the names of the disciples. But look in verse 14. These all continued with one accord. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's interesting to me. The first thing the disciples did after the angels said, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. Just like he went up, he's coming back. Literally, physically, body. He went up in the clouds, he's coming back in the clouds. The first thing those men did, they went back to the city of the Jerusalem. They went back into the upper room and they began to pray. And I'm saying to you, if we believe this might be the day, it should send us to our knees in prayer. I can't imagine anything that I would rather be doing when that trumpet sounds and when I see Jesus face to face, then to be praying, then to be praying. We have seen so far in this year some wonderful Christian leaders who have been called to heaven to be with God. The most recent, Tim Keller, if you followed his ministry, a Presbyterian pastor who pastored in New York City for many years, a godly man, a wonderful communicator. I would call his, I didn't follow his ministry as closely as I follow some others, but I did follow it from a distance. He had a unique ministry. He had a passion to reach the unreached and to reach those who had not grown up in the church. Diagnosed he was with pancreatic cancer, and about a week or so ago, he stepped out into eternity, heaven to be with God. Not many days before he died, he was being interviewed. And they said, Pastor, 
How does it feel? By this time, he knew that barring a miracle, he was going to die. And they said, Pastor, how does it feel to know that you're, you're going to soon die? And he said, I thought it was a great answer. He said, well, I've been thinking about that. And he said, here's how I look at it. If Jesus Christ really came up out of that grave, then I don't have anything at all to worry about. I thought, what a great way to die. So he, he passed and went to heaven. He's with the Lord now. Earlier, or last month, actually, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, one of my favorite, Dr. Charles Stanley, at 90 years of age, passed away. I have followed his ministry all my life. He became the assistant pastor at First Atlanta in October of 1969, the day before I was born there. And so I have followed his ministry, and he has blessed me immensely, immensely through all the many years. And to see how God took that man's ministry and just talk about beyond the walls of a church, that was his desire in Atlanta, get the message beyond the walls, beyond the walls of the church. And did they ever? His message is televised and broadcast in almost 200 countries, been translated into 127 languages, absolutely amazing ministry. And I thought I knew everything about Dr. Stanley's life and ministry, and after he died, I was looking at the In Touch Twitter page one day, and I showed this to our Wednesday night crowd. I don't think I've shown this on a Sunday morning, but they showed a picture that I said when I saw the picture, well, that explains it. That explains the secret to Dr. Stanley's ministry. That is a picture of his prayer room in his home. He had a prayer room in his home, a prayer room in church, and a prayer room at the In Touch Broadcasting Ministry. And you see, and I've tried to figure out if that's a, a cot, if that's a mattress. It, it's certainly got a, a quilt over it. it got a blanket at the foot and a chair there. But that was the room in his house where Dr. Stanley would go. And many times in his preaching, he would say this. He would say, if you physically can, and sometimes you physically can't. But he said, if you physically can, when you pray, get out on your knees. He said, there's something about getting down on our knees in the presence of God. And he said, I'll tell you something else. If you physically can, and sometimes a person physically can't. In God, it's not our position, it's our heart. But he said, if you physically can. There ought to be times when you just lay out on your face before God, prostrate, and just pour out your heart to him and then take time to listen to what he might say to you, prayer. And I thought, God, you used him so greatly. It was a sovereign decision you made, but I can't help but believe that his commitment and his devotion to prayer wasn't somehow connected to what you were able to do through that man's life. And I'm saying if we really believed that Jesus Christ could come for us today, he might not, but he could. It would send us to our knees, and it would send us to our face in prayer, seeking his face. I love Psalm 27, 8. David said, when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I'm asking you today, in an average week, how much time do you spend seeking the face of God? I have to ask myself that. How much time do I spend seeking the face of God? I can't imagine anything I'd rather be doing when Jesus comes back than for him to find me in prayer. I was thinking about an analogy of what that might be like in our day. We probably all had this experience where we've been in the grocery store and we've been pushing our buggy with one hand and on the other, with our other hand we're on the phone talking to somebody. And... Um, we take our buggy and we turn down aisle nine, and when we turn down aisle nine, we're just talking away. 
And lo and behold, we look up, and the person we're talking to is on aisle nine. We bump into them. We've all had that experience. And it's kind of an awkward thing. We don't know if we should keep talking on the phone or just hang up and talk to them in person. But eventually we hang up. What do we always say when that happens? We say, hey, hey, I didn't know you were that close. And they say, well, I know. I didn't know you were that close either. I thought this week, you know, when Jesus comes back, I can't guarantee that he will, but I wish that he would find me praying, find me in his presence, talking to him. Be like on the, I, and I say when I see Jesus, when that trumpet sounds and when that archangel shouts, and I'm immediately transfigured, I'm in the presence of Jesus from prayer to his presence. And what am I going to say to Jesus? Hey, I didn't know you were that close. And he's going to say, I know you didn't. I wanted to surprise you. I cannot imagine a better way to be ushered into the presence of God than to be talking with him and to him by faith and then immediately to be talking to him by sight, face to face. When is Jesus coming? I don't know. It's closer than it's ever been. Like the boys that had the spend the night party and they say, we're going to stay up all night and we're going to eat grilled cheese sandwiches and Cheetos and we're going to watch TV all night long, and it got to be about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and, boy, they could barely keep their eyes awake. And one of them said to the other, what time is it? And the other one said, it's later than it's ever been. I'm going to tell you something. Paul, living in the last days, John said, little children, it's the last hour. And I'm saying to you today, it's later than it's ever been, and this could be the day that Jesus calls us home. Amen. And, Father, whether it is or not is your business. You've told us it's not for us to know. But our business is to live our lives as though this is the day. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, Christian friend, would you ask God to change the way you think about the return of Christ? Not necessarily theologically, but practically. Would you ask God to do it with you what he did to those Puritans that you would wake up every day saying, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. You'd go throughout the day, God, this could be the day before my work day's over. And you go to bed tonight, look out that window, maybe tonight, Lord. Maybe while I sleep, God, that trumpet's going to sound, maybe tonight. Just ask God. I want God to do that for me. Will we live with that? It would change everything about our lives. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For those of you in this room right now, for those watching at home today who are not saved, I'm telling you, if Jesus came back today at the rapture of the church and you've not been saved, when we all go up and see him face to face, you're going to be left behind. And you're going to be on this earth when the tribulation period starts. And we're not going to be here to help you and to point you to God and to tell you how to be saved. So we're telling you now while we still can. And God's given you this moment while you still can to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And we sing it every week. 10, 12, 14 people saved last week. And today I'm believing in this service there are people who need to be saved. If you don't know for certain that you're ready for the return of Christ, pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And God, as I ask you to forgive me, I ask you, God, to help me to 